This is the MLW Radio Network. Right, guys, welcome to another episode of Future Stars Now. I am Mike Freeland. Uh, the Ritster is not joining me this week. Unfortunately, he is uh, he's under the weather, and uh, I'm going to be flying solo here tonight, but we got a great show for you. We, as always, bring you all the stars that are in the wrestling industry, and this week is no different. We're going to be bringing some international flavor to the show this week. We're going to be bringing on a wrestler who is... Uh, who's traveled, who's been around, and he is joining us in the studio this week. Let's go ahead and bring him in right now. Miles Blackwell. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Good evening. How are you today? I, how are you this evening? I am very, very good. We do appreciate you uh, going ahead and carving some time out here for us. Uh, how's life been for you uh, during this crazy time with the pandemic and everything? It's actually been quite good, um, believe it or not. Uh, I would say the pandemic has actually been what's helped me get into wrestling. Um, that's what really started the whole thing was I haven't been wrestling that long. Um, it was the summer of 2020 when the speaking out movement came out. And there's more of a joke that, you know, a lot of the superstars that we actually were, you know, idolizing at the time were kind of being called out in some of this in, in the movement. And, you know, I'd made a joke to some of my friends that, you know, maybe I need to go to wrestling school so you all can have someone to chair a boo that, you know, doesn't have any past allegations, doesn't run around on their spouse, things like that. And then it just materialized from there. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because that you mentioned that, unfortunately, they often say there's a phrase, uh, never meet your heroes, because oftentimes right. you, you get let down. And I think personally speaking, I've met some people that I almost wish that it was just, I knew of them via TV, if that makes sense. Because I think when you... When you spend some time with people, they can either incredibly impress you a lot and you can be like, wow, this is a great human being. Or you can find out that um, your appreciation for them really starts to to diminish. Um, let me ask you, do you feel like, with before we get into all of this, do you feel like social media when it comes to wrestling? I know there's definitely some plus sides to it with being able to market yourself and brand yourself and interact with fans and whatnot. But do you feel like... Also, there's a downside to this. Sometimes people have uh, a little too much ambition to say what they want and to do what they want. And unfortunately, it gets shown these days all over social media. Absolutely. I feel like the social media movement has made it more easy to say things without consequence. You know, it's uh, I think it was, it was Mike Tyson had, had an old phrase about everyone is comfortable saying something until they get punched in the mouth or something like that. And I believe that. Now, social media on, on the good side is, you know, it's it's the whole broken kayfabe has been its own business. Um, but on, on the other side of that, I remember being a teenager and having no idea what was going to happen, who was going to show up. And that was the magic of all of it. Yeah, no, you're 100% right now because I, I think nowadays there's so many spoilers out there with not only match results or what's happening, it's almost instantaneous. People have their phones when they're at shows and instead of, you know, not ruining it for everyone else who's not there, they end up tweeting pictures or they end up giving you spoilers of 
who did what. It's it's one of those things where you're right. It's it's a it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You're just trying to figure out what the happy balance is between them. But people do also um, they do hide behind their computers a lot, especially wrestling fans. And I feel like wrestling fans sometimes speak their mind a little bit too freely. And they take a lot of shots, especially when you're a recognized person. Does that, in your mind, feel like that makes things even more difficult, too, when you're trying to get started in wrestling and then all of a sudden you check social media and then sometimes people are not saying the the greatest things about people? A couple of things is people are always going to hate on things that they can't do themselves, number one. Number two, whenever you put yourself in a spotlight, you become an easy target, right? You're You're not hiding, you know. At the end of the day, everyone's human. You know, some humans are just more recognizable than the other. Some humans have, have accomplished more. And, you know, sometimes that makes them an easy target. Sometimes that makes them, you know, someone, well, I could do that. You know, I'm just not famous. I, I wasn't given the same opportunities that they were given. And then that's when that, that hate begins to grow. No, you're, I think you're 100% right with that. I think it's very easy to hide behind 140 characters and, criticize people for what they do when the reality is there is no chance they would ever, ever make it through a training camp um, and be able to even remotely hang around with the guys in the ring. There's no way. But exactly. that aside, let's kind of get into you. Um, so l- the first thing I always like to ask people is what kind of got you interested in, in wanting to do wrestling? What was it about wrestling that first piqued your interest? What was it about wrestling that you said, I really like that? Um Kind of take me through the genesis of, of your fascination with wrestling. Well, believe it or not, my family has always watched it. I mean, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. And I remember my great-grandfather, he hated Ric Flair more than anyone. And I remember <laughs> finding a VHS from Super Brawl 91 that he had, he had taped the pay-per-view. I mean, this is when pay-per-views were a thing. And he wrote on the tape, Super Brawl 91, Rick F. loses. <laughs> That's why he wrote on it. That's fantastic. Um, when, when I was a child, you know, my father would watch it with me. And this was during, this was during the early nineties when, you know, Owen Hart was the rocket, Bret Hart yes. was doing his thing. And the first real heel that I remember as a child was uh, the model Rick Martel. Love it. And, and my father, you know, just to get at me, I was a small child. He actually took the, um, the radio, you know, put a cassette tape in, held it up to the television and recorded Rick Martel's music. And then would play it about the house and walk out, you know, and, you know, wow. just, and I'll go absolutely ballistic, man. Absolutely ballistic and just, you know, start kicking them and punching them and <laughs> great times, you know. And then and then as I got older, I went back and started watching older wrestling. And, you know, even though his heyday, I was either not alive or very small. Uh, Roddy Piper's always been my favorite. You know, yeah. To, go ahead. Yeah, yeah Roddy has had uh, an amazing career, um, obviously starting out. At age 15, having his first professional match coming over to the United States uh, from Canada. Um, Very, very close relationship with the Hart family. Stu was a big instrumental part there. Then obviously him working in the Oregon Territory. So Roddy was one of those people that you either loved or hated, but it seems like you were definitely in the camp of uh, of pro-Roddy. I'm I'm pro-Roddy. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that is absolutely Beautiful. That is impressive, my friend. It was a it was a birthday gift in 2018. Um, yeah. What what I've actually come to like about Roddy and and I kind of um, I kind of identify with this myself. You know, Roddy was fantastic on the microphone. 
Some would say he's not the best in a ring. You know, he'd absolutely outwork anyone. But, I mean, he's not a technical master. He's not, you know, he's not an acrobat, anything like that. But his personality was bigger than his skill set. And that's something I, I want to identify with because at my age, I'm not the most athletic human being. And, you know, um, you know, to be getting into wrestling at my age that I got into it, you know, I've got to make myself a bigger personality to actually, um, what am I trying to say, to overshadow my weaknesses and, and my shortcomings in the ring. Let me ask you this. I mean, I think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the wrestling, the technical abilities, the this and that. But I think a lot has been overshadowed with being a showman. And I feel like that is really important. And I feel like if you can do that, I think people will gravitate towards you. I mean, it, they've been proven numerous times that you don't have to be the greatest you know, technical wrestler in the world. But if you can connect with your audience and you can somehow – uh, draw them in and want them to buy a ticket to to see you. That's the only thing that matters. I mean, look at look at the Hogan. He couldn't, you know, do a whole heck of a lot, uh, if anything. <laughs> There's a lot of guys who really couldn't. But what, like you said before, they accentuated the things that they did do well: the talking, the entrance, the the music, the charisma, all of those other intangibles that I feel like you have to have, I mean, it's, it's the whole being larger than life persona that that's what is wrestling. You are a Marvel superhero. You're a DC comic superhero. Absolutely. And with that, that's what you need to be known for. You have to have a trademark. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And, and you know what people, a lot of people don't understand is something I certainly didn't understand getting into this was the little things are the things that are going to absolutely make the biggest difference. You know, you have so many, I've mentioned this before, you have so many uh, guys and gals getting on the microphone, they want to be MJF. They want to say that thing that makes everybody's jaw drop. They're looking for the heat, right? We're always hearing about the heat. But to me, it's the little things that get over the most. You know, um, you know, if you're familiar with my Twitter page, I'm always talking about I'm unpinned. You know, that's, that's my thing, you know. Um, someone once said, if you tell someone something that they know is not true, it's going to drive them absolutely mad. And, you know, have I lost matches? Yes. Have I? Had, you know, have my shoulders been on the mat for the three count? Yes, but there's always an excuse. There's always, you know, no, no, my shoulder was up. I have to pull the cameras and not pulling the cameras, you know. And I still maintain every single day that I'm on pin. And there's some people that, you know, are blowing me up, hit me up in my DMs. You've been pinned. <laughs> Let it go, man. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a T-shirt that says I'm on pin. I've been wearing it in my promos, you know, or wrestling everything. And um, to me, that's more, that gets over more than, you know, talking about someone's drug addiction or someone's mother, you know, cheap heat, right? Yeah. So do, do you feel like in a lot of ways the the art of getting heat with the audience is kind of lost? Because like you said before, there there's a lot of people nowadays that'll, that'll go the cheap route. Your mother, your sister, your wife, you know, this person's alcoholic, this person's a drug. At what point, you know, do you try to look at the way you're supposed to be trying to driving the audience nuts and say, how can I find something that isn't being done that someone isn't saying? And I think that's a beautiful thing. I've never been pinned. What are you talking about? Exactly. And, and just to <laughs> irritate the, and to believe it and to say it with such conviction that literally you drive somebody incensed. Uh, you've got them at that point. Yeah. To me, delusion is one of the biggest characteristics of a villain is you know to be that deluded that like we've seen you there's it's on camera that you've been pinned like shut up about it but no i'm going to keep talking about it because 
you know, to me, like one of the most annoying things in the world is when you're trying to sleep at night and then your ear, you have a mosquito just buzzing, right? Yes. Mosquitoes not kicking down your door. The mosquitoes not causing structural damage to your house. But if mosquitoes in here going, oh, I'm pinned, I'm pinned, I'm pinned. You keep swapping it and it keeps coming back. You know, to me, the mosquito is one of the biggest villains in the world, you know, just constantly swatting <laughs> at it. And, and that's the, that's a bit of the, um, the, the quality or the uh, characteristic I'm trying to take from it. When it comes to to wrestling itself, um, so you were always a big wrestling fan. At, at what point and at what age did you decide that you were going to start going into or at least looking into training? It was actually in 2020, which, um, you know, I, I aged quite well. But at the time, 2020, I was 34, about to turn 35. I'm 36 years old. Just wrestling is not – it's not an old man's game to be starting out. Now, I mean, you have people like AJ Styles and, and Finn Balor and whatnot, and they're in their 40s and they're – top of their game but to start out at a older age it's a bit of an uphill climb so it was around august of 2020 is when i actually stepped foot in a wrestling ring for the very first time how did you end up finding uh, a place that you were willing to train at where was there like a process you were looking for somebody specifically you know how did that all kind of come about where you finally decided okay this is where i'm going to go train the, the funny thing was when I posted a thing about, you know, do I have to go to a wrestling school so you have an actual uh, face or heel, someone to cheer you and not have to worry about allegations or things of that nature. Sure. Um, so, someone had sent me a message and said, well, here's a specific spot, you know, and um, you should you should go there. So I went there and I met with them, fell in love with the place and I stayed. Now, the, the funny thing about this is we all know that wrestling school, uh, the tuition is not always inexpensive. You know, it is a money game, and um, you know, and it was it was a it was a hefty amount. Well, I didn't know this, but somehow I was entered into a contest at my job, and I won a large sum of money that the company would put towards travel, towards uh, education or fitness. Well, at the time, twenty twenty, no one was doing much traveling, right? So what happened there was they put it towards fitness, which happened to be my wrestling school. So a contest I didn't even know I was in paid for my wrestling school. And then at the time, because of the pandemic, they weren't doing shows, which typically the shows on Saturday. So I would drive and do the show or do do training on Saturdays. And then I started going two or three times a week. But if the pandemic hadn't happened, they would have been doing more shows. It would have been more difficult for me to train. So that's wild. So it is very expensive. So, I mean, I've checked out a lot of different schools and the prices. I, I think a lot of them run anywhere from like. 12 to 18 weeks. Once again, it depends on the school, but it's several thousands of dollars. And to be able to, you know, have a situation where you're entered in a contest, you win the con. I mean, it's almost like fate. It, it's almost like fate is telling you that this is something that you need to be doing. That's, that's how I felt. You know, at first it was, it was a nervous thing. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to do this, you know, a, a, am I going through that midlife crisis in my thirties? Like, you know, and um, I decided to do it and, it has been the absolute most fulfilling experience. Uh, it's good for my mental health. It's good for, you know, just overall, like even when I first started out and after, you know, bumping for a couple hours on the first day, I could barely walk out to my car and, but I couldn't wait to come back. You know, is it, is it Saturday again? You know, I'm going to start coming during the week. You know, I leave work. I work I, where I work is about 80 miles one way from where I train wrestling. And so I go to work, go to wrestling, come back home, get up, go to work, go to wrestling, and um, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. It's a grind, but it seems like when you're really driven and that's something you want and you're going to put all your effort and energy into it, you know, it's it's all or nothing. 
And I think at this stage, you were ready mentally to say, hey, I'm fully committed to this. Um, what would you say was the most grueling aspect of the training? Was it the back bumps? Was it hitting the ropes? Was it just getting your body ready to be in ring shape? Or did you feel like, you know what? I'm actually in pretty good shape. For me, actually, it was questioning if my body was rejecting this type of activity or if it was normal. You know, because after the first a couple first couple of weeks, I couldn't walk. You know, and my wife, who's been my biggest supporter since day one, you know, she's like, "I'm conflicted. I love you, but I'm having to help you out of the bed." You know, and after a while, you know, I built up a callus on my body for this. And you know, I've told this story to a couple of people, but I actually reached out to. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Eric Stevens. Used to wrestle, I believe, he wrestled in Impact. Um, yep. I reached out to him in the DMs and asked him a question about like, how, how normal is this, you know, to be hurting like this? And he said, it's normal, you know, and that, that actually gave me confidence that, okay, my body's not breaking down on me. It's just part of the beginning process. And, you know, now I can go in there and bump, you know, you're going to be a little sore, you know, it's, it's not a mattress, you know, it's not a trampoline, um, but I'm used to it. So you get in there, you start bumping around and was there a point in your training that you felt like, you know what, you're starting to get kind of into a rhythm. You're starting to, things are starting to fall into place. This is starting to become more natural. This isn't as forced as it was before. Did you reach that point uh, at, at what stage of your training when you started to feel things were really coming together? It took me about, it took me about three or four months before I felt that. And, you know, all the confidence that I had, I was up here with it. And then I had my first in-ring appearance and the confidence came back down. You know, it, it was, you know, I remember reading people on Twitter were posted, oh, I went back and watched one of my first matches and it was very cringy. And I'm like, that's not going to be me. And then, you know, you go back and you watch your first match and you're like, oh my God, you know, it was, oh, it was terrible, terrible. Well, the one thing I've learned is that wrestlers are their own worst critics and but once again you know all the secrets behind what you're supposed to be doing you know exactly what's supposed to happen when and where you know for those of us who are on the other side of the guardrail we we don't know um so when it came to your first match were you pretty nervous before you went in there uh or were you kind of like you know what i'm kind of ready at least to get this out of my system and let's get this first one going well i thought it was going to be a lot easier and it was um you know, they put me in there with someone I've never been in the ring with, which is, you know, this, this nature of the business. And he called nothing. Nothing was called, you know, and in the entire match, it seemed like it was clotheslines and chops. And um, even to the point where, you know, he picked me up for a body slam. I didn't know it was coming. And I was actually upside down in the air. And I said, oh, we're doing this now. You know, that's I spoke <laughs> to him. I was upside down. And, um, the, the whole experience is, is was pretty cringy. Like w when people go back, say, where's your first match? I will tell them. Well, I'm not going to let you watch it. You know, um, I didn't have my gear really. I was wearing fight shorts with the Union Jack flag. I had my fist taped up. I taped up my fist, but it was this really cheap like ankle tape. So I just looked like a burn, you know, burn me hands on a stove, you know, and I was recovering from some second degree burns. It was just, it was a mess. And to this day, you know, I just... That's not going to be the that's not going to be the last impression of me, you know. And you know, every match I believe I feel like I've gotten better. You know, I've had matches that in the past that were better than the more recent ones. You know, and a lot of that just has to do with the chemistry of the person you're in the ring with. Did you ever get to the point where you know you're in? You obviously you got in training. That I'm trying to think how I can phrase this. How 
you started to build relationships up with the people that you were training with and you really desired to to work with these people even more so. Did, was there ever a situation like that? Like, man, I really wish I have chemistry with this person in training. Hopefully I get to work with them down the road. Absolutely. Um, the, my best match was actually in August of uh, 2021. And the opponent I was in a ring with, he was a, a newer kid. You know, he's already gone. He didn't stay, he didn't stay very long. But a lot of people didn't actually like him, but he and I had an understanding. We respected each other and more than anybody, more than the most experienced person at this school and this company that I wrestle with, me and him would put on the, my matches with him would be better than my matches with anyone else, you know, and now I'm actually building chemistry with a couple, a couple of gentlemen in the organization, one who I'm going to be facing one week from Saturday. So chemistry is a, is, is a huge thing, obviously, when putting together a match and, and being able to flow really well with each other, make sure that you can do the things that you want to do, your opponent can do the things that they want to do, and ultimately it, it's a great thing that leaves an impression on the fans as they leave that night because they're going to say, I want to see this again. I want to see a part two or a part three of this. Um have you gotten any compliments, obviously, early on in your career from people that you've worked with that have said, you know what, I really like what you're doing here, or you did this really well? Um, the person I'm actually facing next week, his name is uh, Machine Bryce Maddox. And I think him and I have an understanding as well, because especially being young in this industry, you know, not age-wise, but as far as tenure and experience, you know, you have a lot of guys that say, oh, I got to get this move in, I got to get this move in, let's make sure we do this, this, and this. And a lot of people are looking out for themselves rather than, the fact this whole thing is a dance, you know, the whole thing is you're going to get yours in. I'm going to get mine in. But at the end of the day, the fans are who win, you know, and people don't understand that a good match is a good match, no matter who wins. You know, for example, uh, Johnny Gargano and uh, almost his takeover Philadelphia. Um, one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Gargano didn't win. But to me, he put on a hell of a performance, you know. It didn't even, you know, when you see a really good match, it doesn't even really matter. It's kind of an afterthought because you're so caught up in the emotion of what's happening and what everybody's doing and the story they're telling. It feels like the the one, two, three is kind of an afterthought because you have so much reverence for what they've just done and what they put their bodies through. I, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of people get caught up in, in the wins and losses and they don't really understand everything that happens in between the bell is the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, if, if I get in a ring and I squash my opponent, it doesn't make it doesn't make me look really all that good. It doesn't make him look all that good. And, you know, should we ever step in the ring again? Oh, I know what's going to happen this time. Right. You know, I like the fact that what's going to happen this time. That's why I like I like when actually builds stories and angles. And, you know, he got over this time. Who's who's going over this time? Like, you know, they're, they're wrestling two or three times, but we don't know what's going to happen because they're equally matched. You know, they each have their own strengths. They each, each bring something to the table, not this guy's going to get in all his offense. And there we are. When it comes to obviously training in, in those first early stages, once you get out of training, you know, they're going to teach you how to physically do certain things. But as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of things that sometimes schools don't necessarily go into um, promos and psychology and the way to look and the way to, to, to carry your body. And those, like you said before, it's the small things that really are the most important thing. When it comes to psychology, was there anything that trainers had gone over with you as far as how to carry yourself, anything to that nature? Or was that something that you kind of just developed on your own as you went along? 
I had a few ideas and initially they had wanted me to be this, um, this really, really strong duality with, you know, the name, the violent gentleman, you know, outside of being quite posh and, you know, a bit of like a, a Lord Stephen Regal type, mm-hmm. but inside the ring, I'm more of like a Hannibal Lecter or a Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men. And and that's what we had talked about. So I was ready for that. And then the booking went elsewhere. You know, they actually was like, okay, you can be a, a, a chicken. Can I say shit? Chicken shit. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, as time went on, you know, it just kind of started more blending into who I am as an actual human being and my villainess personality is more based off of now like liam gallagher from oasis you know he's he's, he's a bit of a rock star he's, he's a bit of a, a dickhead you know and and to me that's that's where we're gonna go actually actually with the with the uh the dark and creepy type uh gimmick they were going to give me i sat in my room uh turned down the lights and made a promo myself pulled clips from youtube videos and things like that and and made a promo that to me this day still gives me chills because it's something absolutely creepy and it never got to be used. So it's just sometimes I just go back and watch it for laughs now. I think when it comes to creating a character or a persona like you did, I think a lot of it is you have to um, self-reflect. You need to find out who, who I am as an individual and what aspects of myself do I really need to accentuate and bring out even more. I feel like in the early 80s and 90s, everybody wanted to be a baby face. It always seemed like everybody wanted to be this this all-American or whatever good guy. Everyone wanted to have that. But then I feel like there was a there was a change. And I think heels now are cool because they're they're basically what a lot of us want to be, because not everybody aspires to be the the hero. But a lot of us, even with even with villains though, in their minds they think they're the hero because they believe enough in what they're doing that they believe they're right. And I think when you have a bad guy thinking that they're right makes them even more maniacal and dangerous because there's those I, I describe it as baklava. There's all these different layers of phyllo dough that you have to get through. And I think it makes the character even more interesting. And like you said before, the maniacal aspect, but, but being very um, debonair when the way you dress, it's another layer. It's another layer. And I think it builds onto that where now you're starting to create this overarching theme of this is who I am. This is what my personality is. And that's what's obviously going to bring people back again and again to see what part of him am I going to see this time. Absolutely. I, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. I couldn't say it any better. Um, you know, as, as someone who is in the industry, the longer you get in there, you know, you start to develop, like you said, you know, peel back the layers and, you know, and then you start to pick up things. Like I'll watch a movie and I'll, I'll see something. I say, Oh yeah, I'm going to use that. Or, you know, that's something I, I like that idea. And the match I was talking about, probably my, my best match, you know, somewhere I was watching something and I had this idea to take off part of my, my fist tape and choke my opponent. And, you know, to me, that was one of the fun, most fun things that I've done. You know, I, I had another match where I spent 90% of the match outside the ring, 90% of the match outside the ring. And when I tell you that the fans would get back in the ring, they're calling me names. They're, um, you know, you're a sissy, you know, get back in the ring. And then they just start, they're not even creative with, you know, get get a haircut, go back to where you came from, that kind of thing. And you got them. At the and I actually got in a bit of trouble for this because I did reach across the guardrail and I knocked someone's hat off their head and he swung at me and, and that was it. I knew it. Like that was the moment, you know, I got in the ring, 
Ref got distracted, threw some powder on some face, low blow, you know, finisher, one, two, three, ran out of there. Didn't even let the ref hold me hand up, just ran out and the place went nuclear. You know, I got in the back and the boy said, did you know that, you know, you know the bloke whose hat you knocked off? I've never seen him in my life. And that was, that was the moment that I felt like I really got them. And I, and I maybe did two or three things worth of offense in the match. The whole match was me getting thrown out of the ring and just staying out to the nine count and getting back in. It's psychology. It's the it's the mental game of chess that you are not only playing with your opponent, but you're playing with the camera, you're playing with the audience, and something like that, just those subtle things, and you doing that, and then getting out of there really quick. It's just, it's less is more, I think, in a lot of ways with wrestling. Would you agree? I think sometimes people try to... You know, they hear about the Dave Meltzer five-star matches and they hear about all these high spots and what makes a good match. In your opinion, what do you think makes a good match? When you are watching the match and you forget for a few moments that it's choreographed. For me, at, at this level, um, another one of my favorite matches is uh, the then Alistair Black versus Velveteen Dream at a, a takeover war game. Yes. It's maybe a 12, 13-minute match. But the storytelling in that match was fantastic. You know, it's one of the matches I actually watch when I'm at the gym, like on the treadmill or on the elliptical or something like that, because I, I get excited, you know, and I've, I've seen the match a hundred times. I know what's happening next, but I still pop every time. It's funny you mentioned Aleister Black because I'm a huge Aleister Black fan. Uh, Malachi Black, uh, as he is known in AEW now, but he is, I was, I guess you would say technically he's he's classified as a heel, but he's one of those people that people fall in love with. I feel like people fall in love. It, it doesn't have to be qualified as a baby face or a heel. You fall in love with whoever you fall in love with, just like the model Rick Martel. Um, but it's one of those deals where he is so deliberate and methodical with everything he does from the when the music comes on to the smoke that comes out, to sitting there on the stage, and just everything is just done at a certain pace. It's on his watch, and when he hits that black mass, you know it's over. But it's such an amazing experience when he is out there, and he's not out there for very long, but he's so good at telling a story that I right. feel like he's one of the best guys out there today. Absolutely. Um, you know, he was actually one of the ones that, you know, there's certain elements of my character I've actually modeled after him. You know, I'm, I'm more of a striker than anything. You know, I've got a little grapple, a couple of little acrobatic things, but I'm more of a striker more than anything. Um, but as far as actually what you're talking about, so calculated and so methodical, I'm not a fan of Randy Orton, but the man does not waste any movement. That man, I never appreciated him until I got into this business because he, no wasted movement. Absolutely no waste movement. There's nothing that's, you know, super frivolous, nothing frivolous. Whatever he is going to do has a purpose, and it's going to work towards the end result. Do you feel like I've noticed this, and, and and you probably have as well? Not only being a wrestler, but being a wrestling fan, is that we've started to fall in love with all of this uh, Cirque du Soleil stuff, and and I have nothing, I I have nothing but love for luchadors, and I have nothing but love for for the Japanese style wrestling. However, I feel like things done in appropriate portions. Instead of just all of this flipping and jumping around in this and that, I like when you said before, when you mentioned uh, Randy Orton, it's very methodical. It is more of a ground game. It's more of a fight. 
it is right. more of one of those hand-to-hand combat situations where it's going to be a knockdown drag out instead of all these hurricane ranas and 450s and tope suicidas and all these other kinds of things. Do you feel like that we're going to start to see more of the ground game come back into wrestling and less of all of the the jumping around? Or do you think, unfortunately, the ship has sailed with that? That's unfortunately here to stay. Well, I think things come back in cycles, you know. Um you know, right now the the spot monkeys, as they call them, you know, it's all it's all video game wrestling, right? You know, let me do this move. There's there's no storytelling in the match, and you know, to be honest with you, it we live in a day and age now where there is something for everyone. Whereas, you know, if you went back to you know the '90s, you know, if you like this, you were a nerd. If you like this, you were you know a grunge kid. If you like this, but people were still kind of like standoffish with each other now. It's, it seems like almost every wrestling show has something for someone, you know, and, and the, the matches with a lot of high flying, you know, that's my bathroom break. You know, um, I like the matches that do tell the stories. Um, I like characters, you know, the, the guy that comes out in a T-shirt and jeans and wrestles. I'm not really into that, but there is someone there is a market for that. You know, someone likes that. I'm not that's not me, but I would say that. You know, depends on what what you watch. You know, I'm starting to get back into watching NWA, and what I've really been into recently, uh, because of the WWE Network on Peacock or whatever, is the uh, This Is Progress. Been watching a lot of that. Oh my gosh, Progress! Great promotion, fantastic. There's so many promotions. I think you and I would would agree upon that. It does. They do not get the attention and the notoriety for what they do just for the simple fact that there's not as many eyeballs on them. But progress is incredible. There are so many companies that are out there right now that are putting on awesome shows completely. Unfortunately, they get overshadowed by the, the when I say larger, I just mean from a conglomerate standpoint, not from Correct. a better standpoint. WWE is the biggest company. It doesn't mean that they are the best company. Correct. Um, they are the oldest one, but once again, just like uh, Jim Cornette says, uh, garbage gets old too, and it smells when it needs to be thrown out as well. So it's it's interesting because if you want to see a good wrestling show, you can see one five miles away from your house. And that's why I always tell people, you need to spend a lot of time as a wrestling fan watching the independent circuit. That is where you're going to see people being able to be themselves. They're going to have a lot of freedom. And you are going to see some of the absolute best wrestling because why they are out there to prove themselves. They are hungry. And that's what you want to see when it comes to wrestling Two people in there who are hungry and that they want to show the audience what they've got. 100%. It's, I, I like to explain this. So give an example is, is Domino's pizza versus, you know, the, the mom and pop shop in Brooklyn, right? You know, you know, the mom and pop shop in Brooklyn, much better product, different revenue stream. You know, Domino's is worldwide, but I'm not going to go to Domino's just because there's more of it doesn't mean it's great. Right. Just because it's oversaturated doesn't mean it's great. Just because it's on every commercial every time, you know, it's, it was somewhere that goes to a commercial break doesn't mean it's great. It just means it's there. It's convenient. You know, and I've gotten to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm not this pick sides type person whenever it comes to WWE and AEW and, you know, Ring of Honor and all them. But, you know, if it wasn't for Twitter, I would have no idea what's going on in WWE. You yeah, know, no, I, I believe that. With the way they've they've uh, bastardized uh, NXT, I can't even watch that anymore. You know, when it was a black and gold brand, I look forward to it. 
you know, I look forward to it every week and now it's, you know, I'm not even watching it, man. Yeah. It's, it's like you said earlier, a lot of things go, it's very cyclical, you know, things will come and go. And then what is old is new again, but I felt like they had something, they had lightning in a bottle and they were actually even more popular than the main, if you want to call them that, uh, the main brands at, at the end of the day, it's wrestling. And I don't care if it's on Mondays, Friday nights, or Saturdays or Tuesdays, wrestling is wrestling and good wrestling is good wrestling. And if you're just wanting to be following a casting call and you just want to put people out there who haven't paid their dues and haven't actually been properly trained, then go ahead and watch them. But NXT was phenomenal. And there was an article that recently came out with wrestling Inc. that says they're streamlining NXT 2.0 now, since they've gone through and made more of those budget cuts, they got rid of Regal. They got rid of road dog. Um, they got rid of Gabe Spicoli. Um, and I'm trying to remember, they said Bruce Pritchard is now going to oversee what's going to be happening in NXT 2.0. And it's just, it's one of those things where you just shake your head because things with Triple H were run so well. I wonder if there was some level of jealousy, because I'm sure there was. Um, and then all of a sudden, hey, you know what? You've you've had your time, you've had your success, and now there's so many, I feel like, displaced wrestling fans who were craving that. Now they're looking for something else now. Absolutely. Um, I remember watching it. And, you know, for me, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm six feet, 210, 215, somewhere around there. Depends on if I've eaten or not. Um, but NXT was good, you know, because you had the, the smaller guys, you know. You know, you have Adam Cole, the man's 5'10", you know, an absolute superstar. On the main roster, you know, and, and I'll remember – Actually, you know, I've been in the States for a long time. You know, we can we can talk about that. Um, that's that's blown up a lot more than than I put on um, booking, of course. And I remember that, you know, when Alistair Black was in NXT, um, you know, I'm located out of Florida now. Right. And Alistair Black was in NXT and he did a show in Ocala, Florida. And I don't know you know, if you're familiar with it, but they actually do that one in a tent outside of a Hilton Hotel. And he had, you know, just destroyed someone. And he asked for a microphone and we knew it was over. Like we knew it was over. And he started speaking and everyone started chanting, please don't go, please don't go because they knew. And it was about two weeks later that, you know, him and Ricochet, they won the dusty cup or whatever. They, they went against uh, Viking war Raiders experience, personality <laughs> disorder, whatever they were calling them yep. at the time. And then did WrestleMania. They did all that and then called up to the main roster. And I knew it was over. Like it's never going to be the same. Yeah. That's what happened. And that's the sad part about it. A lot of people had said that, you know, once people get called to the main roster, it's the kiss of death because there goes their passion for doing what they love to do. Now they're becoming caricatures and everything you say and do is, is so scripted and you must do this and you must do that. Let me kind of get back on, on to you when it comes to your in-ring style. Um, and I know you had mentioned earlier in a conversation that you had taken some things from different people. What would you say is the aspect of your character that you're most proud of that you've kind of nurtured and you're like, wow, I've really kind of polished this part to the point that I'm really happy with? I would actually say probably my strikes. You know, I do have a martial arts background before I got into wrestling and actually had to drop out of, you know, the martial arts because, you know, everything in wrestling is so big. You know, the punch is a big wind up. Everything's a big wind up. Martial arts, everything's real short real short, real fast. And I would start to get in a wrestling ring and I throw a martial arts punch, you know, stiff someone. And I get into martial arts, throw a big wrestling punch. 
And they're like, what are you doing? You know, and I kept all the wires kept getting crossed. So I had to drop out of that, which was the best thing that ever happened. Um, but to me, few things are more exciting to me is whenever I land a kick flush, whether it's on someone's back, the back of their head, whatever. And the, the crowd pops off that kick, you know, you know, you kick someone and then you hear everybody go. <gasps> that's to me, that's the music, you know, um, to me, that's my favorite thing. And it's something simple. It could be, you know, just off of a snapmare, a little soccer kick, you know. Um, you know, I, I talked about Owen Hart, big Owen Hart fan, and his spinning heel kick that he threw was one of my favorites. And, you know, whenever I throw that, if it lands perfectly, like as I'm tumbling to the ground, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting back the smile, you know. <laughs> um. I think it's interesting when we talk to people who've actually are athletes in other areas, because I think what they bring in this applies to you is believability even more so because you are trained in doing certain things and it looks authentic. Do you feel like that also applies as, as opposed to maybe somebody who just comes into pro wrestling without having any type of background in something else? Or do you think it really just kind of depends on the person? I think it depends on the person, really. Um, it depends on if you're a fan of the if, of the art form, right? There's actually someone that I've got in mind, you know, I'm not going to say names, but someone that I've wrestled with that, you know, they're not even a fan. You know, I, I don't know if they were just looking for something to do. Like, hey, I'm a big guy. Let me find something to do. And it draws me nuts. Like, how are you not obsessed with this? You know, but I mean, he doesn't really bump anyways. He's a big guy, you know, um, is actually a person in the first match. Um, but it's like, why are you here? You know, yeah. if this isn't what drives you and makes you so happy and makes you want to do this, why are you here? You know, yeah, you're athletic, right? Uh, you know, between that and, you know, the ones who just complain constantly, you know, I'm getting overlooked. I'm getting overlooked. You know, well, do you work out when you're not here? No. I'm going to Applebee's afterwards, you know, or, you know, no, I'm going to go eat 15 Big Macs. Well, stop complaining then and get in the gym. I'm not in the best shape. You know, I'm coming off of an ankle fracture, you know, fractured my ankle probably about three, four months ago. And, you know, my last match, my body looked like a melted candle, you know, but I'm back in, you know, I'm back in the ring trying to do things. And it's, are you putting in the work or is this just a hobby? It's funny you mentioned that, you know, it, over the years, we've heard about a lot of wrestlers who, have done it just because they found they had a knack or that they had a certain look or whatever it may be. And I can see how that would infuriate people because this is not just an office job. This is not just something that anybody can go do. And it would bother me too, that somebody would just walk in here, not have a passion for it, not really care about what's going on, not care about the art form of what you're trying to do. They're just simply doing it to pass the time. I think when your heart is not in it, um, I, I don't think you have a place. And I think this is only meant to be in a world where people truly want to be here. And I think hopefully some of those people will get weeded out from the rest of them who are actually really hungry for it. I agree. Um, again, you know, of course, you know, the old term we call people marks, you know, you, you know, you like wrestling, you're a mark, you know, but we all are in a bit, you know, in a sense, you know, you, you can't say that Jimi Hendrix wasn't a mark for music. You know, you've got to love the thing that you're doing. Otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, um, you know, I'm where, you know, one of the uh, guys that I wrestle with, his, his name is Mike Anthony. He's actually uh, he's a very good competitor. And he's constantly getting shit on for wearing Mark shirts to training and to events and whatnot. 
you know, you know, wear a Raven shirt or, you know, he's a huge Shane Douglas fan. Like his, that's his inspiration, Shane Douglas. That's why he wears tassels on his tights, you know? And it's like, well, he, he's, he's a fanatic. That's a good thing. You know, you don't want someone that's just going to get bored with this and then take off and leave. You know, um, you've got to have a love for the art form, whether you're involved in it or not, before you get involved in it. That's, that's just my personal opinion. No, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, is there, I'm trying to think, is there a way that people are trained nowadays when it comes to etiquette um, as far as when you first break into the business? Is it, is it still a situation of shaking everyone's hand, finding a quiet spot, sitting down, or has that changed? Is the dynamics different in a locker room when you go around and meet people when you get to the building? What is that like and what's your philosophy when it comes to how you conduct yourself when you go into a locker room for the first time? For me, I didn't actually really speak with anyone unless I was spoken to for probably about the first six months. You know, I'm, I'm quite a vocal human being, but until I get the lay of the land, you know, just kind of look around and, and soak everything in, I'm not speaking. Um, a really funny story, though, was the, the guy that runs this school that I, I trained at and he actually runs the company that I wrestle with. Um, he had talked to me about the handshake and I'd never heard about the handshake. And he said, look, when you shake hands, it's one of the first things I learned other than wipe your feet off before you get in a bloody ring is the handshake. It's a soft handshake. And, you know, he said, because the idea is you meet someone, you know, you shake their hand. If you try to, you know, do that, that tough grip, is this guy going to be stiff with me in a ring? So he taught me that. And I remember thinking, this is going to be my first rib. This is me being hazed. And so I started trying to look up everything. And the first thing I found on YouTube was a honky tonk man talking about the, the handshake. And that was, that's always going to stick with me is, is the handshake. Now that's something that I feel did get lost over the years, you know, cause you do meet, you know, the guys walking around with the puff chest, you know, and you know, they do the, the tough handshake and it's like, come on, mate, you know, we're here to put on a show for other people. You don't got to put on a show for me. Don't try to work me. We're in the locker room together. Right. You know, you know, uh, but I'll remember the handshake, uh, wipe your feet. The ed the etiquette of, you know, if you're in a locker room in some of these venues, the locker room is very small. You know, there's not a lot of room. Um, you know, if you have someone that's the champion, personally, I'm going to get up and offer my seat if there's not a seat available. You know, because I do believe in paying your dues. You know, that doesn't mean you've got to be someone's bitch, you know, and you've got to carry someone's bags and anything like that. But, you know, if, if someone's a champion and you're not, I'm going to offer my chair, you know, you know, here, have a seat. You're the champion. You've earned where you're at. You know, and one day I do expect that in return from someone else. Yeah, it's a pay it forward type of deal. No, I agree completely. Obviously, in, in 2022, you know, we are just starting off the year. Our fingers are all crossed that people stay healthy and things start to get better and better. What are some of your goals? Do you, do you sit down at the beginning of every year or every so many months and write down, hey, this is what I want to do in the next six months. This is what I want to do in the next year. Are there any small, medium, and long-term goals that you'd like to set for yourself in the next year or so? Oh, I just want, I just want more bookings right now. I'm wrestling for a company now, you know, is, is the indie. So, you know, we're not signed to a contract. You know, if I wanted to, I could go wrestle somewhere else tomorrow. You know, I do stay close to home. There's a loyalty thing there, but you know, if something were offered to me, of course I would go as long as it didn't, you know, mess up prior engagements. However, there are a few people on the indies I would love to get in a ring with. Um, are you familiar with Kevin Blackwood? I am. I would love to get in a ring with him. He actually is the one who designed my first T-shirt. Um, oh, wow. It's a, it's a logo, um, tape fist holding the teacup, you know, and he actually.
So, you know, I, I paid him for it, but I'd like to pay him in a wrestling match. <laughs> you know, um, Kevin Koo is another one. I would love to get in a ring with him. He, he doesn't know who I am, you know, but whatever. Um, of course, I think everyone loves Dan Housen. You know, yeah. that guy, he's, he's on a whole nother level. I'd love to get in the ring with him. Um, Nixon Newell is out there now. Um, and probably, you know, obviously she's in NXT and going to be out for a while with uh, the new baby, but uh, Candice LeRae. Phenomenal talent. Absolutely phenomenal. I remember seeing clips of her before I knew who she was. And just, this lady's taking bumps, man. You know, like crazy bumps. And I wasn't even in wrestling at the time. I just remember seeing her. I think she was taking that, uh, what was it? I believe it was uh, Cedric Alexander used to do. it. pick him up like a back, uh, belly to back, drop him on the knees. Yep. Unbelievable. So, folded. <laughs> So th- there's so many different promotions out there. Do you, I mean, obviously you're on the road and you're traveling and whatnot. Uh, what's it like? I mean, how far do you typically travel for different bookings? I mean, have you spent some time? Because um, I know Texas is a big one. Texas has several different promotions up in Chicago. Airy has a ton of them as well. Are there any promotions that you would really like to kind of hone in on and focus on a little bit more? Um, to be real, I, I'm, I'm one of those, I have the, what I call the Christopher Walken mentality is you offer me work and I'm going to take it. <laughs> you know, the man's done some absolute shite movies, you know, but he gets paid for them, you know, and he gets himself out there. And, and that's, that's how I feel is, and it's not necessarily the money because anyone who's in the Indies, you know, on the level that I'm on, you know, we work a shoot job, you know, we're not, we're not the big names that wrestling is all that we do. So, you know, we are doing this for the love of the game. And on top of that, the exposure, you know, um, I remember the first the first match I got paid for. I didn't spend it just because, you know, it was just this is more of like frame this money just because of the thing. And, you know, the next day I celebrated, went out, was out of tattoo, some shoes and a dozen donuts, you know, just <laughs> out of pure excitement. You know, so my first real, real event cost me, you know, hundreds of dollars just in celebration the next day. You know, and again, that couldn't be possible without a support system that I have, you know, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, turn this into like this romance type thing. But, you know, my wife is the one that really pushed me to do this. And tomorrow actually is seven years that we've been together. So that's awesome. Congratulations on that, sir. Yeah, she's the best, man. She she comes to the shows and boos me more than anyone. Uh, but she's wearing my T-shirt, you know, and like you can watch clips and hear someone young, you know, you're a cheater. You suck. And it's like, that's my wife. <laughs> she fucking hates me. You know. You gotta love it. You gotta it's love the, the dedication. It's the best. You know, she'll wow. be texting me when I'm in the locker room, like, when are you coming out? Like, mind your business. You know, you'll see me when you see me. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you who's going over. None of your business. You know, no, no spoilers here, right? Absolutely not. I'll be there. That's all you need to know. And you <laughs> ride home with someone else. I'm gonna be here breaking down the ring afterwards. <laughs> this isn't that glamorous, you know. So let me ask you this: Where, uh, where can people find you? What you you said your next big match is coming up uh, this upcoming Saturday? Is that correct? Next Saturday, January twenty second, January two thousand and twenty two, in Jacksonville, Florida, at Eagle View Academy. Uh, it's our thirty first Stampede, which is a twenty man battle royal. Um, I'm going to be in that match. I'm going to be facing uh, also Machine Gun Bryce Max for nice. the Southern States title. And I plan on taking that. I'm, I'm not leaving empty-handed. You know, whoever wins the, the Battle Royal at the end of the night gets to face the champion for the title. Um, so, you know, I might be having both my hands full when I leave. 
that's fantastic. When it comes to social media, obviously we know that this day and age there's there's Facebook and there's Twitter and there's TikTok and there's Twitch and there's all this other kind of stuff. Tell everybody all of your platforms where people can follow you and if they want to get a hold of you and for promoters uh, where they can find you. Okay. This is going to be really easy. I've only got Twitter. I don't do Facebook, you know, because my mom's on Facebook and I use some foul language from time to time and, you know, not trying to get those text messages and those scolding <laughs> phone calls, you know, I'll raise you better than that. Um, at, at VG underscore Blackwell. So at violent gentleman underscore Blackwell is my Twitter. Um, you know, um, you can DM me, my DMs are open, you know, I'm pretty easy to get along with, you know, just don't send me any, you know, unsolicited pictures. Um, and you know, if you want to send me a direct message and curse me out and tell me how much you hate me and then I'm, I've been pinned before, you know, I'll probably just ignore you. <laughs> where, uh, where can we get merchandise? Where can we buy merchandise? Um, I can put the link back up on Twitter. I was, I had four shirts on pro wrestling tees, but you know, there's a little bit of backlash going on with them for a while. So I uh, just found out about, yeah. Right. You know, my, the funny thing was my mother, she actually, she called me and said, Hey, I got a letter in the mail from pro wrestling tees. Did you know we got hacked? She didn't actually get hacked, but she was mentioning it, you know, the company. But, yep. But she, she's one that's had to change her card probably four or five times because she's always ordering things off these sketchy websites anyway. So, it was, you know, no skin wow. off her back. But I've got to tell you this. This is actually a really funny story from my childhood. Sure. So, you know, I was a big wrestling fan. And, you know, when wrestling around the Attitude Era, you know, wrestling got a little bit raunchy, you know. Um, you know, my father is a minister. He's a preacher, a man of the cloth, you know. And I never watched WWE at the time I was watching WCW and I was a big fan of those luchadors that you were talking about, you know, I'm yep. 12, 13 years old, you know, this is exciting. And I was a big Ray Mysterio jr. Fan. And I saved up my allowance, my $5 a week, you know, and I saved up and I bought a mask of his off of highspots.com. I had to go to a friend's house, use their dial up internet, send in a money order. This will tell you how long ago it was. I told you I'm old man. And I'll remember when I got it, my dad was, he was properly pissed. Because he said, you know, you spent all your money on that mask. What are you going to do when he turns to be a bad guy and starts cursing and you don't like him anymore? You're just going to throw the mask away. And I remember the absolute elation and comeuppance that my father got whenever I started to get my own T-shirt and I made him pay full price to buy one. <laughs> full circle, baby. Full circle. It, it took 20 some years, but I got him back, you know. But you got it, though. Got it. You, you got it. It has been a pleasure, Miles, and I know there's so much more meat on the bone, so many more things we can talk about. Is there any chance I can twist your arm to come back and have another conversation? Anytime, man. I'll be real with you. I was absolutely properly nervous. You know, I've done a few of these and um, really nervous about this one. Uh, you put me at ease, man. Um, you know, just, you know, been on a few podcasts and your knowledge, your your demeanor, the way you deliver questions is, is absolutely, it's been a joy. I appreciate that. Thank you so very much. And I can't wait to uh, to continue this friendship and follow you and, and see your success because you know what? You deserve it, my friend. And I think you're going to do very well down the road. Thank you very much, Mr. Fraylin. All righty. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, Seth. All righty, guys. That is Miles Blackwell. Such a great, great interview. Please, by all means, support him. Go on over to Twitter. I highly recommend it. Follow him on Twitter. Find out where he's going to be wrestling at. Go ahead and get your tickets. By also 
DM him to find out where you can get merchandise from him as well. We always want to make sure we support wrestlers, support the independent wrestlers. These are the stars that are going to be headlining all the big pay-per-views in the years to come. Right now, you have seen them first here on Future Stars Now. Um, wish the writ could have been here with me. I wish I would have gotten a chance to ask, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get Miles back here really quickly. Miles, I'm going to do it because there's a question that my co-host would have wanted me to ask. And if I didn't, uh, he's going to get mad at me. So here we go. Let's get to it. This is a uh, a unique question, but this right. is a question we've asked just about every guest. If you could go back in time, and, and I didn't create this, if you can go back in time in a match, take someone out, put you in. So you're going to pull somebody out, put somebody in. Rock and Hogan, you're going to pull the Hogan out. You're going to put yourself in against the Rock or Shawn Michaels, Brett. I'm pulling Brett out and putting me in to go against Shawn. What match is it and why? Wow, that's a fantastic question. I've never really thought about that one before. Um, you know, just for the fact that, you know, I would like to somehow step in a ring with Piper, you know. Um, but probably WCW Piper, that way I've got a chance of going over in that one. Um, <laughs> and I would love to face, uh, you know, Punk at Money in the Bank 2011. That's, yes. it's, that's another one, you know, I've, I identify with the whole straight edge thing, you know, I don't drink or smoke, do drugs or anything like that. And, um, you know, to me, he's, he's another one of those wrestlers. I like flawed human beings, you know. Um, is he, he's in shape, you know, the man can go, he's in his 40s and go, but, you know, he's, he's not some ripped you know chiseled greek god you know he's a personality that's bigger than the actual skill set that he has and that's no way shitting on the man because you know he's he's my favorite living wrestler you know um but probably to share a ring with him would be a big deal you know um i went to the dynamite that he was on a couple weeks ago and all the man did was come out and cut a promo and i just remember being absolutely starstruck from like 12 13 rows back you know without seeing him do a single maneuver as man just holding a microphone wearing a pair of dungarees and sneakers you know but i was so so into it and then probably um one of the matches eddie guerrero versus dean malenko i'd actually like to be in eddie's spot because dean malenko is um you know amazing you know when i watch his matches i have to constantly rewind him because i miss something it happens so fast you know um man's an absolute talent wow Excellent answer on that one. We love it as always. I promise this is officially, I'm letting you enjoy the rest of your night. But once again, thank you so much. And we will definitely be chatting with you again. For sure. It's a pleasure. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys. You know what? That's just the way things work when you do an interview. Sometimes you leave something out. You got to go back and you got to clean it up and you got to do it the right way. And I'm so glad I did. Miles Blackwell gave us an answer that we all couldn't agree was amazing. Support him. Follow him, like I said before. Follow him on social media. Go ahead, buy the merchandise. Go ahead and slide him a DM as well and let him know, hey, I checked out your matches or I really like what you're doing here. We love wrestlers who are passionate about wrestling, and Miles, in my opinion, epitomizes what that is supposed to be. He is hungry. He is excited for it, and I think he's going to do some awesome things. I am running against the clock right now, guys, but it has been fun. Don't forget, each and every Tuesday night, we are live with Front Row Material. And each and every Friday night, we have Future Stars Now. Don't miss 
Cult of Beardo. Don't miss Six Degrees of Rit and Renegade, all on the Front Room Material Network. You can also get our merchandise as well at Brainbuster Tees. You can follow me on social media. I am at Mike Freeland, and you can follow our show at FRM Podcast. As always, we are on the MLW Radio Network. All right. I I definitely need a glass of water now because I feel like I'm I'm all winded. I'm all blown up, as they would say in wrestling. But that's going to do it for now. We'll catch you next time on Future Stars Now. The world of NLW Radio never stops.